folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute, housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis, Christianity in Genesis, where do we see the person and work of Christ, and by extension, the life of the church? How does uh, the body of Christ live and move and have its being, even in these seemingly old and outdated texts of Genesis? As Scripture, we've talked about this a little bit, they continue to speak a word to the church of all times and places. Something is ringing true about this eternal truth of Christ and his body, the church, the eternal church. Melanchthon liked to speak of it this way. You know, Luther was the reformer, big reformer, but then Melanchthon uh, at the same time, he liked to speak of the eternal church. Text here, eternal word of God, speaking of the eternal church in the church's one head, and that is Christ Jesus. Last time we took a look at Jacob... um, fearing Esau, and then we ended with Jacob wrestling with God. So the suspense was building, I suppose, last time at the beginning of chapter 32. Jacob is afraid of Esau. This goes way back to the birthright incident and so on. He's on the run. But then it just so happens that as he's afraid of Esau, he wrestles with God. And we talked about that last time. In many ways, chapter 33 is an outgrowth of 32. What do I mean by that? It is what happens... After one wrestles with God, there is a a kind of wrestling that takes place one to another. The directional flow there of the Christian faith is, first of all, um, as we have first been loved, then that love flows to one another. Or as our Lord himself, in the person of his Son, sending his Son to die for us, has done a good work for us, so also freely good works flow forth. Um, for others, one to another. So it's always this kind of vertical direction then leading into the horizontal. That's how we are able to extend true Christian love one to another. We first receive that. How much can you give if you're not receiving anything first? And so also with this seeing the face of God business, Jacob first sees the face of God, wrestles at Peniel, which means face of God, literally, And then he'll meet up with Esau here, and seeing his face is like seeing the face of God. That's our tie-in here. That as one wrestles with God, so also that wrestling extends one brother to another. And that face of God can be reflected. What has been seen there vertically as we see the face of God, think of like the end of the divine service. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared So also now, as we go out um, and interact one to another, we can see that salvation, that saved life, uh, reflected one to another. And so that's what we have here uh, with Jacob and Esau in chapter 33 as they reconcile. This is um, the kind of, you might say, uh, you know, this is where Israel gets, you know, what's your name? And now you'll be called Israel because you've striven with God. With God. Uh, this is really how Israel would be put on display, uh, not one on one with God, but with one another. 
Jacob lifts up his eyes and looks. Behold, Esau has 400 people with him. So this is, oh boy. So he divides the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. Again, this kind of two-fold woman thing. (laughs) Even when it's like in the middle of this kind of suspenseful drama, you still get this like division and twofold. We talked about the two women thing, Sarah and Hagar, right? And we have Rachel and Leah, always this, I don't know, you have two women in Proverbs. You have all this kind of uh, the the true church, false church, the two lady thing. How is it that we see the life in the in the true church from this particular woman, Sarah? Well, salvation by grace. And how about this Hagar one? Well, grafted in as a sojourner. Both can be true about the life of the one church, but it's split into two. And, and sometimes those two women are straight up, hey, one of them is lady wisdom, one of them is lady folly. One of them is true church, one of them is false church. So Jacob divides these these ladies, he divides the children, divides the servants, and he puts them in kind of a, it's an interesting order. He puts the ones up front, uh, the servants, and then their children are first, then Leah with her children, and then Rachel, and then Joseph last of all. And so this kind of reflects what Jacob's, these are his, these are his loves. He loved Rachel more than Leah and so on. Joseph was the son of his old age, and so he loves Joseph. He's This is the ones that are near and dear to him. So it looks like everything is just, oh my, it's not going to go well. He, uh, he went before him, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came to his brother. It's an interesting language. This is very liturgical in many ways. I think that's, again, part of this key is what happens in the divine service for the Christian then flows uh, one to another. So this language of lifting up his eyes, um, this language of bowing down to the ground seven times, this is the kind of uh, what prostration you would see in worship, in the language of the liturgy, the lifting up of the eyes and so on, lifting up his face, lifting up his presence and grace upon us. There's something going on here as these, it's like the liturgical life lived out one to another. So you get some conflict with Christian brothers and how do you, what shapes that or how do you think about that? Well, how can I reflect or extend what has happened in the liturgy, the divine service to this individual? For example, I've been forgiven. How can forgiveness uh, be central here? I've been shown this wonderful work of salvation by grace. How can I, um, I don't know, bear some of this burden? How can I lift up my cross in this situation in order to reconcile as my Lord has lifted up his cross to reconcile the relationship with me? So Jacob is reflecting all this, and it is amazing because we would think Esau, I mean, Esau was terrified. He was totally trembling, and he was so mad. So you would expect things to not go so well, but verse 4, Esau runs to meet him and embraces him and falls on his neck and kisses him, and they weep, which is an amazing thing. It's kind of like the prodigal son, the language here, the father, you know, I'm not worthy, and so I'll, I'll serve my way, I'll, I'll work my way back up. Um, but here it's like the father running down the lane. It's kind of uncouth to do that. You're not supposed to run, but the father runs and it's for the sake of the reconciliation. Esau runs 
and embraces him and kisses him and so on. This is almost just, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's what, what has happened here. Just time? Is that it? And I think that's part of the, I think that's part of the, the punch. In other words, this is so wonderful, so extravagant, so beyond all the, the blessings that, that uh, Jacob, you know, how about these sheep? Will this appease him? And so on. I think it's even beyond all of that. There's a kind of reconciliation out there that, I don't know, it's, it's in the Lord's hands. It's, it's something that, that will happen in some way, shape, or form. It's almost eschatological, to use a fancy word for end time stuff here. It's like at the end of the time that our Lord has allotted for us, we will, as brothers in Christ, somehow be reconciled. And sometimes it's quite striking. I would think, you know, Esau would be upset or I would think that, oh, maybe, oh, well, I saw a little sheep and that's why I'm treating you so nicely. But Esau just, it's just, it's so striking. And I think there's an element here of reconciliation that's beyond us that is is the work of the Lord as a result of what he does for us first in the divine service. Um, When we receive the sacrament, for example, we pray that the Lord would strengthen us in the one true faith faith toward him and fervent love toward one another. That love that we extend one to another is really beyond us. It really depends on the Lord's loving us first. And then that's what gets extended into, and when that gets extended into one another's life, it's, it's quite beyond us how powerful that will be. And no matter how much time it takes or how rough it may seem, at the end of the day, there will be a remarkable, fantastic reconciliation of Christian brothers and sisters one to another, no matter how bad the, the, the situation was, the drama, the scandal, whatever it may be. So you see that here with Esau and Jacob. It's striking, but that's, that's the Lord's love. It is striking. Esau lifted up his eyes. Notice this is like reciprocal now. Jacob lifted up his eyes. Esau lifted up his eyes. He then sees the women and children. Who are these? Jacob says, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. These are, you know, these are, and then they come forward and bow down. This is like the assembly. This is the sacred. There are others involved in this. When there's a reconciliation between that prodigal father or prodigal son and and his father, then what? Then it's, you know, come to the feast. It's it's a connection to the community. Uh, The Christian community there, the, the older brother in the parable doesn't, want anything to do with it, right? But that's where the thing ends. It kind of leaves it like, well, won't you come too? And this is the assembly that that is involved in reconciliation. It's never just, I mean, this is um, what? On the one hand, it's a one-on-one thing, but very quickly you realize it's always a communal thing too. So Matthew 18 starts with go to your brother and you know tell him his fault or whatever, but then very quickly it's two and then tell it to the church. It's like that also when when the reconciliation business is, okay, so somebody did something wrong against somebody else, but very quickly the kind of separation that or the divide that was a result of that, it affects more than just those two. I mean, mom and dad might have an issue. A husband and wife might have an issue, but very quickly, well, obviously the kids are going to be caught up in this. And maybe 
by extension, the siblings and whatever else of the siblings of the parents and, you know, family, larger family, then friends, congregation members, and so on. It's never as cleanly as just a one-on-one thing. And so you see the assembly reflected here. Who are these? Well, these are, this is the extension of what this reconciliation means. One to another, brothers and sisters, the body of Christ. And so they draw near and bow down. Again, this is the language that Jacob first reflected. Leah comes, and they bow down. Jacob and Rachel, they bow down. That's, this is all a very, this is like liturgical behavior. This is all like being drawn back into the assembly, the liturgical assembly. This is where you belong. This is your family. This is what all reconciliation is ultimately about. It's not just, you know, a little tiff between friends so that you can uh, be golf buddies again. This is like, this is this is a... A foretaste, this earthly reconciliation is a foretaste of a much greater um, reconciliation and community that we have in Christ. Esau then says, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answers, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. It's, it is a fascinating thing. It's like Jacob also appealing to this assembly in order to have, for, for the sake of its witness, upon Esau. This issue between two brothers is bigger than that. It affects the family. It affects the cousins. It affects the neighbors. It affects whatever, the congregation. It's always a bigger thing. And so there's, in, in, the, in the issues that Christians have one to another, there's a place where um, the community should be appealed to, the community of saints, <laughs> angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven if you have to. I mean, if this is the... This is at its most grandiose scale here. But that's also what is at stake here from uh, brother to brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is also part of the reconciliation business, the community in Christ. And Esau says, I've had enough. Jacob says, no, if I found favor, then accept this present from my hand. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Jacob seemingly using this whatever, the material goods to appease him. Well, whatever, you know, if it's, it doesn't have to be financial, but if it's financial or if it's whatever the case, um, there are things we can do by way of the material goods that we've been blessed with to, you know, to, um, what are these at the end of the day? They're just dumb sheep. We talked about this with, with Abraham and Abimelech. If those things actually facilitate a deeper, more meaningful, the real deal conversation, uh, that maybe needs to be had for reconciliation, whatever that is. So who, who cares? Sacrifice the sheep. Toss whatever you can uh, at the situation that's at your disposal. Who cares? There's a much bigger thing going on here. And so, of course, that enters into the conversation. Well, what's all this deal? This is, a, you know, this is this present stuff. What do I care about some sheep, for example? Or here, these, this, these servants, I, you can have them. Please accept my present. You know, these are this is all fair game. Because at the end of the day, I've seen your face, my brother, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. What does that mean? Well, we'll tackle that uh, real quick right after our break. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. 
What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. there, folks. We are back with our study of Jacob and Esau reconciling. Again, it's striking, isn't it? You would think there'd be a little more tiff involved here, but there wasn't. Esau runs and embraces him, falls on Jacob's neck, kisses him. It's really amazing. This uh, We pray for reconciliation, that we realize we get into situations that are really beyond us. We need our Lord's strength and help all the time. There are certain situations that really remind us of that, um, that it would really take something that's beyond our reason and strength to to work out the reconciliation, whatever it is that happened. Um, you get a picture of that, I think, here with Jacob and Esau. Jacob says, and I think that's also tied into this language I mentioned before the break, this seeing the face of God. This, of course, is Peniel again. Um, Jacob just saw the face of God. There are lots of connections between the wrestling with God and this Jacob meeting Esau. There's some sort of, what's the nature of that connection or relationship? Um, that part of the wrestling with God is how we wrestle one to another. That part of receiving blessings from God acceptance, forgiveness, and so on, is extending that blessing, forgiveness one to another. That seeing the face of God in, for example, the liturgy, the divine service, I have seen your salvation, can actually also be reflected in our daily lives outside of the, the divine service one to another. That God is present also in our neighbors, in our brothers, working as if behind a mask, Luther would say, only that mask is is more visible. Uh, the one behind the mask maybe is more visible at certain times than others. Um, Jacob says, I have seen the face of God, not masked here anyway. In forgiveness, that's what the cleanest, clearest look at um, the blessings of God here one to another. So I've seen the, the face of God. I've seen Peniel. I've I've uh, I've seen Peniel reflected in my daily life, one to another. In the divine service, it's I've seen uh, the salvation that you've prepared before me, and now I've actually seen salvation at work, so to speak. 
um, having an effect, a real tangible effect uh, between brothers in Christ. I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God all over again, as the forgiveness first given me from God extends and has its way with you, one to another. That's a peneal uh, fruit right there. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, verse 11, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I've had enough notice, he ties this to God, he has dealt graciously with me, and then he extends it to Esau. Thus he urged him, and then he took it. I mean, this is the thing, too, about it, is that, (laughs) what was it? Was it Luther in the first commandment, explanation, meaning in the large catechism? It's, we don't, the refusal to accept gifts also is like, no, 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 I got it. I insist. I'll pay for it. I got this, whatever the case. And uh, that is also something that, I don't know, can can be a stumbling block to the gospel at its extreme if you really want it to be. No, 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 no. I must work something toward this salvation. Well, it doesn't really work that way. And so here's this, no, 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 here's this present, this gift. Receive the thing for what it is, and that is a gift from our Lord. And one to another, receive it for what it is. We don't have to, we don't have to put hooks on this or keep score as far as who has what. No, who cares? What is this? This just flows freely. All this, what is the whole world to me? Now that I have this, this reconciliation one to another and with God, take, take it. There you go. Then Esau says, let us journey on our way. I'll go ahead of you. Jacob then says, no. The children are frail. The nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they're driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant. I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Now, this is this is quite fascinating. I guess what you probably kind of know where I'm going to go with this. At the end of the day, I love all the talk of the flock. <laughs> You know, the striped and the speckled and all this. Why is there so much attention on sheep in the Bible? And, well, I mean, the, this is, it's so pastoral. That's the point here. What happens after this reconciliation is, is how best to tend to the weaker brethren. And this is just straight out of Romans. Paul deals with eating and drinking in that context. But this is just how... How this happens. Maybe a scandal happens and then you're in need of reconciliation. Well, what what is best now for the rest of the flock? What about those who are really hurt about it? What about those who, I don't know, struggle to understand this reconciliation? Like I do. When I read verse 4, I think, man, this is just hard to understand. Esau should at least give him a little taste of his, <laughs> of his moan medicine or something like that. And yet, so what about the children in the faith? What about uh, the weaker of the flock, for example, the nursing flocks and so on, the frail of the flock, now that this reconciliation has happened? And Jacob is, is very concerned. This is like, again, like Paul in Romans, where it's like Jew and Gentile, and can we eat pepperoni on our pizza? Well, pork comes from a pig, and, you know, whoa, boy. Um. But he works out this reconciliation such that, okay, we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's the source of our forgiveness. And we have one flock. 
and welcome to that one flock of Jew and Gentile. And here we are. Okay, so Jacob and Esau are together, but now what? Well, it might be a little difficult for you Gentiles over there eating pepperoni pizza. Watch out for the weaker brethren, the frail of the flock that look at the pepperoni and say, look, I've spent my whole life avoiding pig. So can you please, like, order a salad instead? And Paul says, you got to watch out for the weaker brothers on this. And that goes to the flip side, too, as far as the stuff with the Jew um, calendar observances and whatever else. Um, when the Gentile comes in, um, maybe the Jews are observing something of the, whatever, the first fruits. They're so used to doing that. And the, and the Gentiles are, you know, well, watch out for the, the weaker Gentiles out there who haven't ever observed the first fruits and they're feeling guilty about it or whatever the case is. I think that's a nice little picture here in chapter 33 of Genesis as well, that once reconciliation happens, we ask ourselves the effects and and how best to handle it at a corporate communal level. Um, This is just something, maybe in the life of the congregation when there's some sort of scandal or something and so on, the reconciliation comes and maybe by extension others are, are wondering how this came about, and maybe it, I don't know, is hard to understand. Paul uh, in Romans and Jacob, I think here, is sensitive to this, the nursing flock, the frail children, the ones that are going to be affected by this. And so Esau then says in response, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But he says, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of the Lord. So Esau returns that way to, to Mount Seir. Jacob then goes to Sukkoth, and he builds himself a house, made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that place is called Sukkoth. Um, Jacob eventually will come safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. This is home base. This is like a huge full circle for him. He was on the run, right? And he's all over, and he's had these tough goes and lonely nights and wrestling and so on. And now he's back in Shechem land, which is kind of like old school where Abe was. And uh, he buys this piece of land. He puts up an altar and calls it El Elohe Israel. I'll talk about that in a second. But you notice how Jacob and Esau part. They do this business where it's all about finding favor one to another and in the eyes of God. We kind of talked about that. Esau then goes peacefully his way to Seir Jacob goes to Sukkoth, builds himself a house. In some ways, this is a fulfillment of the promise that Jacob got in chapter 28. I've seen the face of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so he makes a vow there at the end of 28, if you'll be with me everywhere I go, which has been true, then I'll pay tithes. I'll support the office of the holy ministry. I'll come come back here to my father's house Um and then I'll give you a tithe, and, and this will be my house and all of that at the end of chapter 28. Well, you see a, a kind of fulfillment of that at the end here of chapter 23, that after reconciliation happens, and after we consider the effects on the wider community, the congregation, and so on, Jacob then takes care of this, uh, what, upholding the office of the holy ministry. He builds a house. He makes booze for the livestock, preserves the flock, right? This kind of, um, there's an establishment, there's a house, there's a, a kind of it rings of, by the end of chapter 28, you know, the house of the Lord. So he builds a house and he's got booze, places for dwelling of the livestock. 
and that's what Sukkoth means, booth. So he tends to, you might say, the office. He establishes, strengthens the office. He takes care of the flock. He upholds whatever structures are in place to support the office, again, with this house building and so on, maintaining the order and the arrangement that our Lord has set in place. And then he comes, it's like a, he's got his promised land. Because of this reconciliation, he's seen the face of God. He takes care of the, the flock, takes care of the office. And then it's like that is his, that is the taste of the promised land right there. He gets a little foretaste of the land of Canaan. He, he camps and um, he's got this land. And he puts up an altar. Again, there's always always these churches that are being set up wherever you go. He puts up a he puts up an altar. Again, we talked about the ministry. He puts up this altar and calls it El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. Remember, his name was changed to, ja- uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. God, the God of Israel. This is the Israel of God. Not ethnic lines, but uh, the lines of faith in the one to come, the promised seed of Eid, that is the central feature of all of this, all of this reconciliation business, all this care for the flock, protection of the office of the ministry. This is what Israel is. This is the Israel of God, Paul says in Galatians 6, the one that has faith in Christ, justified freely by his grace. This is the one, this is Israel. Israel is what gathers around the divine service of the crucified lamb, That's the flock, the true flock, the Israel of God that Paul mentions. That's that's the true Israel. And so you see the true Israel here um, defined by the divine service, you might say, at the end of Genesis 33. A brilliant thing. Fascinating text, always pointing us uh, to the person and work of our Savior in whom is the true Israel. Great stuff. Hey, tune in next time. We'll talk Genesis 34. So spread the word. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org. And clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.